You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Well, thanks for letting me be here. Let me kind of reintroduce myself. I'm Yancey Arrington. I'm, I'm from a church called Clear Creek Community Church in League City, Texas. If you're not familiar with League City, it's southeast uh, on uh, kind of the NASA Clear Lake area. In fact, uh, the, the subdivision I live in is right across from a marina, so we're right off Galveston Bay. And so... Uh, Midlothian's just like it. No, I'm, I'm joking. It's uh, a little less humidity, and uh, so I'm glad to be here. I actually lived in Dallas for five years. I was at a church called Lake Point Church in Rockwall. I was the singles pastor there for five years, but I've been in Houston for 13, and so uh, the, the preaching, teaching pastor there. So this is kind of what I do. It's one of my passions and my loves, and so I'm very grateful for Roddy to give me the opportunity to speak with you uh, men and women this morning. Uh, I, I know what today is. How many of you know what today is in the kind of the church historical calendar? It's Palm Sunday, right? How many of you, uh, when you were young, uh, in the churches that you grew up in, celebrated Palm Sunday by having the kids bring palm fronds? It's okay. It's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. I will make fun of you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, you know, I, I probably should give some disclaimers. Number one, if you're a guest here, as Ronnie said earlier, uh, I'm not the main teacher guy here, and so anything I say that's wrong or incorrect, just know that this, I don't represent Stonegate. Uh, Rodney can fix whatever I screw up, okay? Uh, and also, I, I'm sure that they probably had something else planned, but since I was here, I was able to teach. But here's what I did want to do on Palm Sunday. I do want to read you a text that's traditionally read in churches around the world throughout the ages, and there's a reason why. So if you'll turn with me if you'd like, you're more than welcome to. It's John 12. I just want to read the first few verses, uh, and there, there's not some kind of traditionalist in me that just wants to feel good about reading a Palm Sunday text on Palm Sunday, but I do think it, uh, there's some point to it. John chapter 12, and we'll just look at verse 12 and, and maybe two or three verses after that. And so as the church gathers around the world, and as for two, has for, for two millennia, they would read a text such as, in verse 12, the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so what would happen is that, I don't know how your church was, but in my church, we would take our palm fronds and we would l- kind of line them down the main aisle. I don't know why we did that, because we didn't think Jesus was going to come in on a donkey at that time, but we still did that. So for those of you that do that, do you know why that Israel at the time used palm fronds? I have a pretty good idea why they did. Palm fronds were a symbol of national identity. If you, if you were um, Israel's national identity, if you were to, if you decades before, if you will, when Israel had its own uh, uh, independence because of what's known as the Hasmonean Revolt, the Maccabean Revolt, and all this kind of stuff, they coined images on their currency of palm fronds. It was, it was their kind of way of saying, we are our own people, no one can oppress us, not even you, the Romans, which the Romans did oppress them. And by the time Jesus got there, they were definitely an oppressed people. And so here they hear of this guy named Jesus who claims to be the Messiah. And so when he's coming in Jerusalem 2,000 or so years ago today, they thought, oh, the king's coming back. And he's not just coming back because he's a peaceful king. He's coming back to destroy Rome. He's coming back because he's going to be the avenger. He's going to raise up a great army. 
and slay the thousands, and the streets of Jerusalem will run with Roman blood. And so they went out to see their king and laid palm fronds down, saying, here's the king that's coming to kill and destroy. We don't really know him as that king. We know him as the king who's come as the servant king. And that when Jesus even came here, what's interesting about the text in John 12 is we celebrate, Hosanna, blessed be the king, the king of Israel, and we lay our palm fronds down. Do you realize at the end of chapter 12, you don't even get out of the chapter, and they're asking who he is. So you get to John 12, let me turn there again, and it says here in John 12, verse, um, look at just verse 37. <laughs> Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Wait, 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 wait. Just, just a second, you were laying down the palm front saying, Hosanna, the king of glory, right? And, and then he just, as you look throughout the text, tells them that he'll be a son of man being lifted up high, which means on a cross. That's not the king they were looking for. They didn't want a redeemer. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted someone who they could say, here, go kill all these guys that have been oppressing us. And so Jesus said, I came not to bring a sword, but peace. I look at that text today, I think it's ironic, somewhat providential, that we come here on Palm Sunday, and I want to talk to you not about that text, but about really what that text symbolizes, that some people came to Jesus trying to have a certain faith in a certain person, and then Jesus came to say, here's who I am, and here's the kind of faith that you need, and many did not believe. You know, faith's a big deal, isn't it? I know uh, Rodney has been teaching through grace and change. One of the things I got to do, one of the things I, I try to do before I go speak at a church is I like to listen to the sermon the week prior, not because I think I can continue that, uh, just because I'm at my own church and we're going through series and it's just, it takes a lot of work, as you probably know, to just preach sermons and get them developed. But I did want to hear what he had to say. By the way, just as an aside, you have a wonderful teacher, preacher in Rodney. You really do. And uh, you, you should uh, feel blessed by him, um, and I'm sure that you do. But one of the things he kept talking about is about, you know, we're looking to the heart and God to change us by grace and want a gospel-motivated change. All of that, just so you know, all that has to do with your faith, what you're placing your faith and trust in. And so what I wanted to do this morning is I, I just want to take a few moments to talk to you about faith and where your faith really resides and where your hopes and your fears find themselves when it comes to faith. Because often we place themselves on us. And I'd like to tell you this morning, that's not a great place to do that, putting your faith in Jesus on your performance. I'll explain what I mean. I want to take you back to the text that Rodney read at the beginning of the service, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the reason I want to look at Hebrews 11 is if you were a new Christian and you said, you know what, I really want to learn what it's like to live by faith. A new Christian, or rather an older Christian, probably would, would saddle up right next to you and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. All right, you got a Bible? Yeah, I got a Bible. Here's where I want you to turn. I want you to turn to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 11, right? Because <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 is, how many of you have ever heard the term of Hebrews 11? It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Anyone ever heard that? All right, five people. Good, five mature Christians. No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, but, but, but for many people, they, they, they always thought of this as the Hall of Fame of Faith. And here's the reason why. It's because it highlights the faith of many different men and women who were in the Old Testament. So if you're, if you're new with us and you don't, you know, like, what's even the Old Testament? It's the life and times of the people of God before Christ came, okay? And so the, the, the Hebrews 11 looks back on the life and times of certain men and women and just highlights how their faith is. 
And what I love about this text is it really doesn't try to give you some technical definition of faith by saying faith is and give some comprehensive, universal, uh, Bible-bound definition. Now, it does say faith is the hope of things not yet seen, but that's not a comprehensive definition. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, instead of giving us some Webster's definition of faith, says, well, let me, I'll do even better than that. Let me just show you what faith looks like. Let me, let me just walk you through the people of the Old Testament, whose faith was so stellar it needs to be noted here. And so if, if you were a new Christian and you had an older Christian put their arm around you and walked you through Hebrews 11 so you could understand how you really live by faith, you would see kind of a definition emerging from the life and times of these people. You'd see that faith is obeying God even when you don't have all the answers. Oh, that's easy, isn't it? Right? But it sure happens. Happened to Abraham. We'll look at that in a second. You, you would see that maybe you could form in your definition that, that faith is trusting in the promise-keeping nature of God. God's always about kind of his covenant, his promise. When he gives a promise, he never negates on that promise, never goes back on that promise. And if you would just live out in faith on that promise, you would see great blessing in your life. That's what faith's all about. If you looked through more of these stories, you'd see that faith is really essentially taking risks for God and his kingdom. All of that stuff is about faith. And again, you don't see it in just some kind of technical definition. You, you see it ooze out of the life and times of the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. For example, it's Noah building an ark. He builds a boat in the middle of the desert. I mean, sometimes we've read those stories so much they just blow past us, but you, you kind of see that if you were in the ancient Near East in the life and times of Moses, uh, and, or rather Noah and or Moses, but Noah, and God says, here's what I want you to do. I know you're a landlubber living in the middle of the desert. You, you can't even spell rain if I spotted you, R-A-I, but here's the deal. I, I, I need you to build a boat and, and, and a big one. Go ahead. I mean, we would, we would think that's crazy, and yet Noah does it by faith. By faith, we see Abraham leaving his hometown. Why? Because God says, here's the deal, Abraham. I'm going to put you into a new land, a land I have for you. And I'm going to make a covenant with you. And you're going to have a great people. And you're going to be the father of many nations. Are you ready to go? Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Where, where, are we, where are you going to take me? I'm not telling you. I'm not giving you those answers. Here's the answer you have, me. So follow me. By faith, Abraham, follow uh, by faith, Moses decided to identify it with his hometown native Israelites, the Jews, but not his adopted, more wealthy, if you will, and much more politically stronger uh, Egyptian family. He said, no, I'm, I'm a Hebrew, and I, I know you Egyptian, this family's taking care of me, and you guys co- probably could send me to college and, you know, give me a real nice chariot. And um, probably hooked me up with a really fine woman, all that kind of stuff, because you got money. We got, you know, we're, the, we're, we're at the top of the food chart here. But, you know, the Hebrews are my people. And I know that they're the oppressed people, so you know what? By faith, I'm going to identify with the oppressed people, not the oppressors. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. If you look in Hebrews 11, you see faith in that there's this lady named Rahab, happens to be a, a woman of the evening, you know, prostitute. And she sees some Israelite spies coming into her city. But somehow, somehow, she recognizes them that they're the ones sent by God. And so she gives them safe harbor into her city, a city which they're coming to conquer. 
But even this woman somehow does it by faith. And so when you look at these stories, every time we see someone take a risk to trust in the promise-keeping nature of God, we see not just faith, we see real faith, real faith. And so you look through the Hall of Fame of Faith and you get to the end of chapter 11. And where Rodney read, I want to go back to it and read it again because we need to let it, we need to let it settle on us. And you, gotta, you ought to feel verse 32 and on. Not just read it, but feel it. He's just gone through the litany of all these studs and studettes. I'm just making up terms as we go here. But I mean, just people that, they were on the walls of, I mean, they they were posters on the walls of young Hebrew teenager rooms, right? There was Moses and Samson. These were their heroes. This is how you live by faith. And then notice Notice what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 11, that not only do we have these men and women that I've mentioned and that you can read verbatim in your own copy of Scripture, he says the Bible's rife with examples of how you live by faith. Notice. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Simeon, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets. And then he just kind of goes off. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. <gasps> I mean, you almost got to take a breath there, right? But it's almost, this, there's this lilt to it. It's almost poetry. It's like he's singing, he's starting to preach a little bit, he says. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And as Roddy noted rather well, you see this turn Still talking about faith, he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, and others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword, went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I mean, he goes just like, some people just really got the, the fist to the chin in life for faith. And then he says, of them, I love this, he says, of whom the world was not worthy. These cats, the world was not even worthy of them. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You get, you get the idea in reading this text that there are more examples in the Old Testament of those who live by faith? Absolutely. The writer says, I, I, don't even have, I don't have the parchment to write them all down, right? We could go on. We could talk about Samson. We could talk about David. We could talk about Solomon. So on and so forth. But, but surely, the list that we already have, I mean, that, that hall of fame of faith, that chapter 11 that God's already given to us in the text of Scripture is enough to give us clarity. Listen, not only to what faith is like, but better yet, to, to, to fire you up in faith. I mean, again, you ought to read the Bible emotionally, not just intellectually. Emotionally. I mean, the Bible's written also not just to move your head, but to move your heart. And so when I look at Hebrews chapter 11, um, and, and, and I'm sure this is broken somewhere in me because of my upbringing, but when I look at Hebrews chapter 11, I just, I just see locker room at halftime. Now, I'm from West Texas. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Plainview, Texas. And I'll tell you how it's descriptive, Plainview. Very flat, uh, windy. Anyone, anyone even remotely know where Plainview, Texas is? Okay, so it's in the Panhandle, about 35 minutes north of Lubbock. And growing up, I mean, football was king, like in all of Texas. But West Texas, I mean, uh, Odessa Permian, Friday Night Lights, that was in our by district. I knew guys that were on that team when they wrote that book, right? And so uh, that whole TV show adopted from when, adapted from when I was a senior in high school. And I'm turning 40 in two days. So it just shows you, number one, I know what I'm talking about. Number two, I am so old. Sorry for those of you older than 40. So you're like, you're not that old. That's what we keep telling ourselves as we get older. Um, 
And so I look at Hebrews 11, and it's just like a West Texas locker room at halftime. And here's how I think it goes, emotionally to me. It's, it's like we're all in the locker room, right? And we turn around and, and we see the saints of the Old Testament that we've just read in Hebrews 11, and they're kind of like our first half starters. And the field out there is the, is the field of life where you're supposed to demonstrate fidelity to God, live for Jesus. And when, when I read the author of Hebrews, he's like the coach to me. He's like the guy that's saying, all right, guys, way to go. Good job. Way to go, starter. Samson over there, long hair, steroid. Yeah, that guy over there. You got to Moses, see the tablets by his feet, looks like Charlton Heston. Uh, then, you know, you got, Deli- you got all these people up there, right? Solomon and David and uh, Gideon, and I mean, the list goes on and on. And he looks at them and says, way to go, first half starters. Way to get on the field. Way to live for God. Your faith is incredibly inspiring. Hey, your turn's over. Uh, Sorry to let you know. You're dead. Your time's over. Now it's your turn. He looks at us. First half done. Now it's your turn to get out on the field and carry the ball for God. So what I want you to do is I want you to have great faith in everything that you do, in your home, in your work, in the office, in the neighborhood, at the pool, on the golf course. Live for Jesus. Carry the ball of faith. Now carry it hard. But just want you to know something. When you get out on the field, just like any game that you're in, you're going to have opposition. It's going to be hard to live by faith. And so when you get down and when you get discouraged, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look back in the locker room and, and maybe see the heroes of the first half. So when you get down, remember David's courage. When you're you're depressed, remember Abraham's sacrifice. When when, when you feel weak, remember Samson's strength. So whenever you start to kind of feel weak, feel scared, feel hopeless, lose your faith, you got some heroes to look to. So you ready to go? Now it's your turn, all right? So your turn. Now... Bell's rung, let's go back out, time to go. See, now when I see something like that in Hebrews 11, I feel that. Maybe that's just how I messed up, but I mean, I can feel that. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to you know, put on some smoke, I'll knock a cheerleader over, kick a mascot, I'm ready to go out on the field. I'm pumped, and I'm really awesome. I mean, really good on the field for like five minutes. And then something happens, it's called life, Right? And so you're called to live by faith, but somehow when you walk in the office on Monday, your boss tells you you don't have a job there anymore. I know it's an incredibly hypothetical situation, right? See, I live in Houston. I live in Nassau. We just got laid off about 10,000 people. I hear that they're laying off people from school systems here, right? Yeah. But you're supposed to have faith, right? I mean, you're supposed to be like, have a lot of faith, but your boss is telling you you don't have a job anymore. That means no income. And so instead of having faith... You have this incredible, gripping sense of fear. Well, remember, you're on the field. You, you, you just dropped the ball. I mean, faith, right? No, no, I have fear right now. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're living missionally, right? And you got a next-door neighbor that's far from God, far from God. And you're out in your lawn mowing it, and that neighbor that's far from God that you've tried to show Jesus in the gospel, just in trying to just be loving to them, they're out there mowing their lawn, and you guys catch each other's eyes, and this guy says, well, come on over, I have a question to ask you, and all of a sudden, it's like he wants to know a question about Jesus. It's like, it's like the biggest softball pitch you've ever had, and it's your moment to shine, and all of a sudden, you just like, 
and you vapor lock because you're so scared, right? You, you don't know what to do. I mean, you know what to do. You're supposed to have faith, right? But instead of, instead of, having, instead of having faith, you, you flounder. You're like, I'm just, it's like you're speaking in tongues, but you don't even mean to because you don't even know what to talk about. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, and you can't even do that because you're scared, right? You flounder, you, you drop the ball. You're on the field, and you just drop the ball in front of everybody. Or, or, maybe, or maybe there's that sin that you have struggled with, with oh, so long. And finally, you get all fired up because you read Hebrews 11. You're like, I'm going to have victory over that sin, and so... With great faith, you string together back to back to back to back losses to that sin. And instead of the great faith that you're supposed to have, all you feel is failure. And you just, just drop the ball. But see, that's the time when you're supposed to remember the words of your head coach. Remember in the locker room that says, all right, we knew that you're going to drop the ball sometime. We knew that you're going to have some fear. You're going to flounder, struggle with failure. But remember, have faith. So what you need to do is I want you to remember, go back, look in the locker room. In fact, we, we took them out of the locker room. We put them in the stands. So look up in the stands for all the heroes of the first half and be inspired. Here's what they don't realize, what I think maybe some of us think the coach of Hebrews 11 misses right here. That what he thinks will encourage you in looking at their lives actually discourages you. <laughs> doesn't really help you because you look to Abraham and Samson and guys like David and you're like well coach I I don't know if you were living in my reality I know you're kind of like in Bible world but I don't know if you've seen this in my life or not I'm nothing like these cats up here I'm nothing like them I'm not like Abraham God didn't call me to go to some promised land in the middle of nowhere I'm not like I'm not like Samson I didn't take a donkey jawbone and destroy my enemies I, I'm not like that. I, I can't even live 50 pounds, right? I, I, I'm, not like, I'm not like David. I didn't take five smooth stones, put them in a slingshot, and kill my nation's enemy in Goliath. I don't, I don't know where you've been. I, I haven't done any of that stuff. In fact, if you look at my life, coach, I've got a lot of fear and a lot of failure and a lot of floundering. Now, my faith's not very great. Their faith is. There's a reason you wrote them in that book and why you didn't write me in that book. Their faith's kind of perfect. My faith's kind of not. And what you think was supposed to encourage me, you know, it actually just defeats me. And you start to realize in your own heart, the more you compare your faith with the faith of these guys here in Hebrews 11, the faith of Noah, Abraham, David, and so on and so forth, it doesn't lead you into boldness. It just leads you into despair. You don't feel excited when you compare your life to their lives. You just feel condemned. And this is where we stop in the sermon. See, because at some places when you preach, this is what they do is they say, just be like these guys. And you go, oh, I'm nothing like them, right? Like that was not a very uplifting message because I don't have perfect faith. Here's what you need to know. Neither did they. What you need to know, maybe more than anything this morning, is that as much as these guys were celebrated in Hebrews 11 as heroes, they were very much something else. Hear this clearly. They were failures. Every one of them. They all were failures, that's right. See, far too often, we get blinded by the celebrity accorded to them because they're in the Bible. But we do it to such a degree that we miss the reality that was their lives, right? If you could write an anti-Hebrews 11, I don't mean an anti-Bible, but an anti-Hall of Fame of Faith, maybe a Hall of Shame, the same people would be in that chapter. Just take everyone from Hebrews 11, move them over 
to the hall of shame. Let, let me read to you what it would look like. By a great lack of faith, Abraham lied to his enemies about his relationship with his wife. By a great lack of faith, Samson was promiscuous and committed suicide. Did y'all hear about that one? So they teach you that in vacation Bible school with the flannel graph, and hey, he dies in the suicide. Hey, great. Go tell your parents. <laughs> Singing song, he committed suicide with a big old Bob Tomato. I mean, was that? No, I didn't think so. By great lack of faith, David committed adultery, and then he had his best guy, his best commander, murdered. Welcome to the Bible. Because those guys fill it up with those kinds of things as well. And I could go on. You have uh, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, when people would talk about God in the life and times of Israel, they would use the word in the name Jacob to refer to their relationship with this kind of God. It's Jacob's God. You know who Jacob was? His, his name meant trickster, deceiver, heel grabber. He cheated his brother out of his own birthright and then just basically schemed against his father. Jacob, right? That's the kind of guy that he was. Rahab, in our list of Hall of Fame, she was a prostitute. Do I even need to say more about that, right? Moses, right? Remember Charlton Heston? You know, Moses, big bad Moses. I mean, people will talk about the law of Moses. Moses, considered the author of most of the Old Testament in, in so many forms. Of, he is the Torah, the first five books of the law. Moses. You know what Moses did, right? Well, Moses... He led the children of Israel into the promised land. That's right. He led them into the promised land, but he didn't go in the promised land. You know why? Because he disobeyed God directly. And God said, I love you, Moses. You ain't coming in. That's exactly how the Hebrew reads. You ain't coming. He was a Texan. Did y'all know that? <laughs> he said, you're not coming in. You know where Moses dies? He dies literally on the border looking into Canaan, a place he can never go. Hero, Moses. So do you see that all of them, Abraham, Samson, and David, and Rahab, and Jacob, here's what they all did. They all dropped the ball. Just like you. Just like me. See, I don't tell you these things to besmirch their character. It's already done. I tell you these things to encourage you that before us, the men and women who have been celebrated here in Hebrews chapter 11 are the same men and women who at times, at times demonstrated very little to no faith at all. And here's why. I love this. Hear this, please. Hear this clearly. The Bible takes great care to tarnish every hero of the Bible. Do you know why? It's because they are not the heroes of the Bible. There is one hero of the Bible. His name is God specifically through the person of Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the hero. He's always been the hero. Let me tell you why he's the hero. See, we look at these guys in the locker room and we think, wow, perfect faith. No. See, Jesus is the hero because he does have perfect faith. Let's let Jesus tell us himself. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says about his relationship to God the Father, he says, And the Father who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen to what he says here. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In other words, Jesus obeyed God all the time. In other words, Jesus never dropped the ball. Ever. Let me tell you why that's our hope. If you're a follower of Jesus. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I am so glad that you're here. This is a church for people who don't go to church as well. 
So if you're here kind of kicking the tires on who this Jesus Christ person is, I'm glad you're here. And let me tell you why, for a follower of Jesus, their hope is in Christ alone. It's because Jesus has come to do what you cannot do, but you're supposed to do. At my church, we talk about the gospel. We say the gospel is God doing for us in Christ what we cannot but should have done ourselves. The goodness of Jesus, what's called the good news, also known as the gospel, is the fact that Jesus lives this perfect life and honors God. And Hebrews eleven six says this, and I'll read it to you. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think about that. Without faith, so you have to have faith to please God. Now, here's this, here comes this person who happens to be the God-man, Jesus, who always lives by faith. That means he always pleases God. That means the value of his life is perfect, uh, perfection, righteousness. Now, let me tell you why that's such a good deal. Because Jesus comes for us to rescue us. He dies on a cross to experience the wrath of God for sin that we should have experienced, but he takes it upon himself and will give to everyone the blessing of his righteousness, his perfection, his perfect standing with God to anyone who would come to him by faith. Now let me tell you what that all means as far as this message is concerned. That if Jesus is completely accepted by God the Father for his performance and I trust in Jesus alone for his performance and not mine, then I get the perfect acceptance of Jesus before the Father upon me. Let me me say it a different way. I don't have to have perfect faith because one has perfect faith on my behalf. Now that just depressed me a lot less, right? Let me, let me put it a different way, because I know it's a struggle for us to live on the field for God by faith. All of us struggle. We all like to carry the ball all the time and not drop it, but the beauty of the gospel is this, that when we live, when we demonstrate a lack of faith on the field, and we will, when we flounder and when we fear and when we have failure instead of faith, because our faith isn't great enough, you and I can have hope and the truth that Jesus has already been faithful for us. In other words, he's already carried the ball perfectly squirt every time he touched it right and took the value of his perfect carrying of the ball and applied it to you as a follower of jesus that's what's called good news he's performed for you that's the beauty and glory of the gospel see that's it's that when i get down for not living like i should when i drop the ball it's the grace of god in christ that gives me hope See, here's what I think happens a lot, and we just do this by default. When we failed spiritually, we tend to look inward. We navel gaze, right? Oh, woe is me. If I would just try harder, if I'd just do more, if I'd just put a little more sweat in what I'm doing, I would just have have better faith, more perfect, perfect faith. That's not gospel gospel. In fact, it's not even to look outward. I mean, not just inward, but not even outward. Not to look to others and say, well, let me just tell you how great of a person you are. And, and you know, buck up, little camper. Come on. Sing some songs with us. Get in a small group. And, and you'll, never, you'll never really struggle like it. Just look at our lives. And we all know that that's not true. Now, should we have other people? Sure. But where is our hope found? The gospel tells us that when we struggle and we get down because we haven't been as faithful as we should. We don't look inward nor outward. We look upward. We look to a crucified Savior. We look to one who's carried the ball for us. So we don't have to have the pressure to carry the ball perfectly every time. It's already been done. And the blessing of his perfect carrying of the ball has already been applied to you. 
That's why every time God looks at you at every moment during this space called your history in the universe, he sees his son's perfection and loves you and adopts you once and forever. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verses 13 through 14 say this about God. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So that's, a, that's a verse to learn when you're down, is to know that even when we demonstrate a lack of fidelity, God will always have fidelity to us because he can't deny himself. When he made a covenant in Christ, he made it with himself, not with you, with himself. He's the guarantor of the covenant. He's just included you in the promise. That's why it's such good news. That's why he's the author and finisher of our faith. He starts it, he finishes it, and if he'll do the front and the back, and surely he'll do the middle as well. Jesus is our wonderful hope and our faithful hero. Now, let's go back to the text here. I want you to know those first half starters, they knew that. They didn't know his name was Jesus, but they didn't know Messiah was coming. And they knew Messiah would take care of their insufficiencies. Let's go back and read the text, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Hebrews 11, verse 39. Now, look at verse 39. And all these. Now, what, what he's simply saying is all the people that we've been looking at in the locker room, that demonstrated great moments of faith. All these cats, right? All of them, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. You know the us is? That's the second half people. That's us. The people of God after Jesus' arrival 2,000 years ago. The first half, guys, didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us and apart from us, they should not be made what? perfect. Whoa, 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 whoa. Made perfect. I, I don't feel like I made perfect. You're not on your practice, but you are in his practice. You're perfect. You're complete because of Jesus, not because of you. See, what I, what I love about this text is that Abraham and all these guys that we think are studs, and, and, and they did some great things. They realized they hadn't arrived because he had not arrived. But once he did, He made imperfect people perfect, not because of their obedience, but because of his. Now they're fully loved, fully accepted, fully forgiven, forever. See, that's why, hear this, pastorally, that's why when you're out on the field, which we all are, and, um, and you get discouraged because you will, because of what your lack of faith is doing, don't look to Abraham, Samson, and Dave. Don't look to those guys. Look to Jesus. Look to the author of your hope. The one who's been faithful for you, who by grace will start, who by grace will finish what he starts with you, right? I mean, I, I believe this. If you were to ask Abraham, hey, Abraham, should we follow you or someone else? He'd be like, don't follow me. Gosh, have you read my story? Well, just the good parts. Well, read the whole thing. Uh, David, should we follow you? No, don't, 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 don't follow me. You, you need to follow Jesus. And it, I, interestingly, when you get to the New Testament, you actually see a guy that says, follow me, imitate me. But he puts a caveat on it. His name's Paul. He says, imitate me as I imitate who? Say, imitate Christ. They knew that. They knew that Jesus would come and be the person that we should look to. In fact, let's kind of finish out this message. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews concludes. Look with me now. Go to chapter 12. I think this is, I think I just skipped over this as a young Christian. I, I think it's, it's monumental. He's just spent a chapter talking about how great of the faith these different men and women were in the Old Testament. And then he simply says at the very end, don't even look to these people. He says they're in the the stadium. They're looking at you, but you don't look to them. You look to somebody else. 
Watch this. Therefore, we, we talked with our guys uh, yesterday morning, it, kind of Bible 101. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, okay? And so therefore simply means this. Therefore is saying, uh, based on what we've just talked about, here's, here's what you ought to do with that truth. And so again, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, based on what I've just told you for the last chapter about all the Hall of Fame of Faith, seeing all these great men and women, at least their great acts, here's what I want you to do with that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these guys in the stands now, Let's also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, what he's simply saying is when you get the ball, run with it with passion. Live by faith. Okay, that sounds great. Now, now, look into the heroes when I get down? No, verse two, looking to whom? Looking to Jesus. Why? Well, he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. You, you, You want to have great faith? Look to the one who's given you that faith who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why you have faith, because of what he's done for you by faith. If I could boil my message down into one sentence, I would simply say this. If you want to live by faith, you live by faith by looking to the one who's already been faithful for you. That's it. That's it. If If you want to live with great faith, you look to the one who's already been faithful for you. That's why he will humble you if you get too proud, and he will raise you up if you get too depressed, because your hope's in him. It's not in anyone else but in him. And because our hope's in him, you can have a very thick Bible with very broken people that God still uses, just like you and me. There's hope there. So we don't have to have perfect stories and perfect records because we have one who's already had a perfect story for us. Now, does that cause us to sin? No, it actually transforms our heart to live with this grateful love to say, I I really want to, I want to serve you, God. And when I drop the ball, I still know that's okay. That you still love me. That you've carried the ball for me. In fact, I, I would say this. If you want to know um, what your hope should be grounded in, don't ground your hope in the quality of your fa- faith. Ground your hope in the object of your faith. That's where your hope is. Your hope's not in how strong you believe in Jesus. Your hope is in how strong Jesus really is. He's, as we'll sing, he's stronger than anyone or anything. And that when I'm faithless, he's still going to be faithful to me because God won't deny himself. See, doing that, that's going to bring you joy and power and hope. It gets you out of depression. The Christian life should not be depressing. If it is to you, you're living the wrong life. Let me conclude with some words from Paul. Paul talks to the church at Galatia, and he says to them basically about how the gospel has changed his life and how he lives by faith. He says in Galatians 2.20, and if, if you're into memorizing scripture, put this one in the queue. Right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh. And I'm going to stop there. So what has he just said? I, I've given my life to the perfect one. And Jesus lives in me, and I in Christ. I have union with Jesus. Now let me tell you about the life I live in the flesh. How I'm going to live now. He says, I live this life in the flesh. I live by faith. Bingo. It's what we said we wanted to do from the beginning. You want to live by faith. But notice how he lives by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His hope and identity is in the gospel. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I put my faith in the faithful one, so that when I don't have great faith, I know he has had great faith for me. You want to live by faith? You look to the one who's been faithful already for you. 
That's the glory and hope and the good news of the gospel. Let me pray, pray for you, Stonegate. And uh, Kevin's going to come out in the band and lead you in uh, one last song. And Ronnie will come up and talk here in a second. So thank you for allowing me to be here. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for my friends in this room, uh, friends that uh, I'm connected to, not just because they're friends, but because they're family, because we stand under the cross and that you've made us um, sons and daughters of the king. And so with my brothers and sisters, I'm very grateful, God, that you gave us men and women, uh, even ages and uh, uh, eons ago, that were broken, that were messed up, just like me, and yet you loved them, and that somehow they could still make it into the Hall of Fame, not because they're great, but because you are. And so, God, can I just reconnect with that truth? Because I tend to forget it. I tend to think it's about me and how good or well I do. Lord, help me turn my eyes not inward or outward, but upward once again. And I would pray that for all of us. May we have eyes that seek the cross to know that truly in the Son of God who has loved us and given himself for us, we have power and hope and love. Lord, I pray that you'd bless Stonegate richly and that the gospel would go out from this place into all the earth. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.